Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. You've picked a really good day to join us. Whether you are in the room live, watching live from some exotic locale, like your living room, or watching on demand at some point in the future. Whenever and however you are here, God is ready to do something new in you, and maybe even through you. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the team here at Dayspring. I have the privilege of leading an incredible team of people who love helping people grow. In fact, that's just what we do here at Dayspring. People grow here. So if you want to grow, you're in the right place. If you are visiting Dayspring today, we want you to know that we are a come-as-you-are kind of church. No one here is perfect. In fact, all of us have messy lives. But through relationship with Jesus, we are experiencing healing and wholeness. We're working through our junk together, and there is always room for someone new. Even if you haven't bought into this whole Jesus thing yet, or are skeptical about church or the Bible, wherever you are, we'd love to meet you there and walk with you as you figure it out. We're all on a journey, and wherever you are on your journey, welcome. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church by checking out our Facebook page or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your church home, or if you just have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find study questions by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. And now, let's join our service. Uh, well, some of you might remember that an eon ago, pre-COVID, Didi and I, along with Pastor Michelle and Tony, celebrated our respective 25th wedding anniversaries with a trip to Italy. Uh, after the past two years, it really does seem like an eon ago, although it wasn't that long. Uh, we flew through Paris to Venice and then made our way through Florence and Pisa down to Rome where we stayed for a week. As you can imagine, there is so much to see that we could have stayed much longer. On our list was the Colosseum, of course. And having been to Rome before, I wanted everyone to see the Church of the Bones. Uh, that's not its official name, but nothing could describe it better. 400 or so years ago, they unearthed a cemetery and relocated all of the bones to this church. So there are four rooms decorated with bones. It's really eerie. Uh, we also heard that one of the church, one church uh, housed what was believed to be the steps relocated from Jerusalem that Jesus walked up to Pilate. Uh, there, you can only go up those marble stairs on your knees out of deep honor for Jesus. Michelle and I decided that we would give it a shot and we climbed the stairs on our knees. It was harder than you'd think, but also incredibly moving. We also wanted to see the Sistine Chapel, which meant that even though we aren't Catholic, we made our way to the Vatican, where the museums there have uh, on display about 20,000 items at any given time, and upwards of 30,000 people trying to see them. I couldn't find confirmation of this number on the internet, but while we were there, we were told that anywhere from 40 to 45,000 people visit the Vatican a day during high tourist season. We weren't there, fortunately, during high tourist season, but
But I can reasonably say that we were in the good company of about 30,000 people. I say good company because, because I'm, a nice, I'm a nice guy. That's just me being nice. It, it wasn't good company. It was wall-to-wall people, shoving, pushing, yelling. Uh, it was louder than a rock concert, volume-wise. It was out of control. It was the epitome of chaos. Uh, they might have 20,000 pieces of artistic history to explore, but we didn't see any of them. And I'm not kidding. It was so crowded that you couldn't take your eyes off of your tour group because if you lost them, you'd never find them again. I've been in mosh pits that were easier to navigate. <laughs> now, imagine that kind of a crowd 2,000 years ago. Jesus and his disciples are making their way through the crowd. It is loud and chaotic and everyone is pushing and shoving and jostling around. It's hard to just stand up straight without being shoved to the ground by the constant movement. Jesus is the celeb of the week and everyone wants a piece of him. Uh, Jesus and the disciples had just stepped ashore when they were met by a crowd of people and Jairus, a leader in the local synagogue, he pleads with Jesus to come with him to heal his daughter. Let's pick up the story in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, beginning at verse 24. Jesus went with him, that's Jairus, Jesus went with him and all the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd present around you. How can you ask who touched him? Who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. And the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. <laughs> I love this scene. Who touched me? Like, wouldn't it be easier to identify who didn't touch you? They're all pawing at Jesus. Everyone is touching Jesus. But there's something different about her touch. Though it was desperation that brought her to this moment, it wasn't desperation that differentiated her touch from the desperation of everyone else's. Of course, we find the answer in Jesus' response. Your faith has made you well. Faith allowed her to literally draw on Jesus' power to find healing. Now go in peace. In the middle of this chaos, she found peace. Well, and, and healing, but let's, since this series is about peace, let's focus on that. Allow me, if you will, to, for, a, for just a moment to draw my own analogy from this scene. We live in a world that is without peace. We don't have to look 
Pharisee peacelessness. Uh, For example, we all know that Russia has essentially, if not officially, declared war on Ukraine, and they are peaceless. But did you also know that about 20 other countries are at war at some level? The Democrats are at war with the Republicans. Antifa is at war with everyone. In the wake of newsworthy tragedies, gun proponents are at war with gun opponents once again. Racists are at war with anyone not like them. The have-nots are at war with the haves. Parents are more and more at war with the education system. We're all at war with inflation. And even as I say all of that, we all know that stuff is true, but it also misses the mark. Those are circumstances that contribute to peacelessness, to be sure. But if we could somehow miraculously solve all of those circumstances, there would still be peacelessness. Because as much as those circumstances matter, as much as it would be fantastic, a fantastic miracle to solve them, it is also easy to hold them at arm's length. We can turn off the news which, by the way, doesn't want peace. Peace doesn't get you to watch the news. Peace doesn't sell advertising. But we can tune out the loud voices in our culture when we want to. Because so many of those problems, those big unsolvable problems, are someone else's problem to solve, and we have enough of our own problems to worry about. And it's our own problems that keep us in chaos, pushing and shoving and clamoring for peace, just like the crowds with Jesus. Do you know what really kills our peace? It's our own personal circumstances that kill our peace. It's living paycheck to paycheck and all of a sudden having to figure out how to also pay those unexpected medical bills or fix that hunk of junk you drive to work that kills peace. It's hearing bad news from the doctor, even more so if it's someone that you love dearly. It's the constant conflict at home or at work. In fact, any broken relationship steals peace. Being misunderstood kills our peace. It's that feeling that you are a bad mom because your kid isn't thriving that kills your peace. Or that you aren't a good enough provider to be a good husband or dad, which is all just a form of insecurity. And you know what? Insecurity, the fear that I am not enough, kills peace. Comparing yourself to others kills peace. Complexity kills peace. Living without enough margin kills peace. Guilt kills peace. Addiction kills peace. Anger and aggression kill peace. Greed kills peace. Discontentment kills peace. Pain, especially chronic pain, kills peace. I know that no one will ever admit that this is true of them, but self-centeredness kills peace. Obsession with failure kills peace. Social media kills peace. The fear of missing out kills peace. We all know that I could go on and on. I won't other than to say that every one of us would consider everything that I've just listed as a negative circumstance or emotion or feeling. But it isn't only negative things that kill our peace. In fact, Living out of alignment with God in any way kills peace. Which means that even good things that are out of alignment with God cannot solve our peace problem. Apart from alignment with God's plans and purposes for your life, even good things will eventually let you down and kill your peace. That's because all of these things are simply symptoms 
of our root problem. And that's that we are broken people living in a broken world. And apart from alignment with God's plans and purposes for your life, and I say it that way because God's plans and purposes for my life are different than they are for your life. And I won't find peace trying to live your life any more than you'll find peace trying to live my life. So apart from alignment with God's plans and purposes for your life, the peace that will satisfy the deepest longings of your soul will always remain elusive and out of reach. In the middle of the chaos, in the middle of the pushing and shoving and reaching for healing, this woman shows us that peace is possible in spite of the chaos of our circumstances. Peace is possible. It comes from Jesus, and it begins with faith. By the way, she wasn't looking for peace that day. She just wanted to stop the bleeding. She wanted healing, which of course she got, but she got far more than that. Her healing was complete in every way, physically and spiritually, and she was healed relationally and financially. Her bleeding would have made her unclean and would mean that her life was spent apart from others alone. And she had spent everything she had looking for answers, and now she would be able to re-engage in her family and friendships and spend her money on something other than her medical needs. You see, Jesus was never one to stop at a symptom. He always took it a step further. He was and is far more interested in healing, in meeting our deepest needs, even if it means allowing the, the symptoms to persist. And our deepest need is peace with God, which this woman also received along with her physical healing and the setting right the rest of her life as well. Now, in another story about another woman, we'll see that faith isn't the only thing that unlocks peace. For this one, we need to turn to Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36. Uh, we've, we've looked at this story a couple of times in the past few weeks from John's perspective. Luke's version gives us a different focus. Uh, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his, at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. Now, no one really knows much about Simon the Pharisee other than he was probably a leader in the local synagogue. We don't know for sure how Jesus ended up eating at his house. Jesus would often find himself teaching in a synagogue when he came to town. So it could be that as a leader in the synagogue, Simon felt obligated to provide a meal for Jesus after such a teaching. The context, as we'll see a few verses down, suggests that he didn't really want to host Jesus and the disciples for dinner. He skipped over the customary greeting and washing of feet, which would serve to make Jesus and the disciples feel welcome and at home in Simon's home. That would also help to explain why a sinful woman would be present. 
given that a sinful woman would never be allowed in a Pharisee's house, it was likely that the dinner was served in, a, in an outer courtyard open to the public. So imagine a reception open to the people who had attended the service at the synagogue. Verse 40. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the, first, from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, unlike the story of the bleeding woman, there is no physical healing here, but there is spiritual healing. She receives the same encouragement from Jesus. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. But we also see that her faith combined with her repentance is what opened her life to peace. But what did Jesus mean when he said go in peace? For the hemorrhaging woman caught in the chaos of the crowd, did that mean just to escape the chaos of the crowd now that you're healed? And for this sinful woman, leave this place where you are subject to scorn and derision without making a scene? Go away and experience peace. If that were so, then the peace that Jesus was offering wouldn't be any different than the peace the world offers. All based on circumstance. Just escape the circumstance to, es to experience peace. But that doesn't, just doesn't sit right. So what did Jesus mean? As we saw in our study of the Gospel of John, Jesus spent the final days of his earthly experience alone with his disciples, teaching them privately. As they had been throughout his entire ministry, the disciples were confused by what Jesus had to say. They found it difficult to reconcile what they believed would be true about the Messiah from the Old Testament with what Jesus was saying. He spoke directly into their confusion in what we call the farewell discourse in John chapters 14 through 16. And in John 14, 27, Jesus says, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. When it comes to peace, Jesus makes it clear that the peace that we've been talking about is different than the peace offered by the world. 
At the time that Jesus made this statement, Israel was ruled by the Roman Empire. One of the imperial slogans of Rome was peace and security. In 1 Thessalonians 5.3, the Apostle Paul writes, what, When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them. Uh, Paul's alluding to this slogan. This imperial slogan in this verse, which was imperial propaganda at best, peace and security. For Israel, the peace that the world offered was Roman peace, which they equated to the oppression of the Jewish people. For Caesar, this, was, this meaningless slogan was simply a way to justify his supreme authority. Back in the farewell discourse, when we get to John chapter 16... Jesus says this, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Now here we see again the contrast between the peace offered by Jesus and the peace offered by the world, but it can't deliver on. In fact, Jesus promises just the opposite from the world. The disciples, and by extension all of us, will face trials and tribulations because the world cannot offer the peace of Jesus. And the world will reject us because of our relationship with Jesus. Uh, the Roman political propaganda offered peace through Caesar, considered by many as a son of little g, God, who conquered the world. But Jesus, the true son of God, in fact, God himself has achieved lasting victory. The peace that the world offers never lasts because it's based on circumstance. From the world's perspective, peace is found in the absence of negative circumstances. All you have to do to escape is escape the circumstances and you'll experience peace. Or just avoid negative circumstances altogether. Jesus, on the other hand, offers peace in the presence of negative circumstances. But that's just the beginning. Biblical peace is that and so much more. Now, outside of Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace, the concept of biblical peace is best illustrated by the Hebrew word shalom. A shalom is normally translated peace. It occurs more than 200 times in the Old Testament. And if you add up all of its variations, it appears 550 times in Scripture, giving us lots of insight into peace. When the Old Testament was translated from Hebrew to Greek in what is called the Septuagint, translators used the word Irene, from, where, from which we get the name Irene. Uh, Irene is also the word used for peace 85 times in the New Testament. Strictly speaking, Irene is an acceptable translation of shalom. It means to join or tie together in harmony with a nuance of tranquility and harmony. The basic meaning in Greek of Irene is the absence of conflict or war, which shalom can mean as well. But shalom also means something far deeper and richer. Shalom is completeness. It heals us from our need to strive after that thing or that person who will finally satisfy us. Shalom is soundness. It produces a sense of strength rather than that feeling that our minds and bodies are breaking down or falling apart. 
Shalom is wholeness, felt as a settled ease, harmony, and a general well-being. Shalom is contentment. It frees us from the tyranny of disordered desires. Shalom is a general sense of welfare, which could be described as a feeling of security and happiness. And shalom is mental and emotional quiet, as opposed to soul noise or, and, and conflict. Shalom looks to the future, looks forward to the future in faith. There's that word again. I hope you're beginning to see a pattern. Shalom looks forward to the future in faith to the resurrected and recreated heavens and earth where everything and everyone will have shalom. Author and pastor Timothy Keller says that shalom is one of the words and images for salvation in the Bible. The experience of shalom, he says, is multidimensional, complete well-being, physical, psychological, social, and spiritual. It flows from all of one's relationships being put right with God, within oneself, and with others. Peace is deeply personal. When we are at peace or in peace, we have the kind of confidence and surrender to God that allows us to trust him in faith with the outcomes of whatever we are facing. We already know that the most important outcome has already been determined in Christ. So we no longer feel like we have to justify ourselves to God or to others. Uh, even in the face of difficult circumstances, that external struggle, whatever it is, doesn't translate to an internal struggle. With complete trust in the goodness and plans and purposes of God, we still may have to work through some difficult circumstances, but we don't have to make things come out right, which is probably a good thing because we are bad at it. It's God's job to make things come out right, and we're content to let him do it his way. The peace offered by this world is based on external circumstances. The world's peace begins outside of you and promises to work its way inside of you. Biblical peace works the other way around. It begins inside you and works its way out, which is why biblical peace is possible in any and every circumstance. You carry it with you into every circumstance. Which also means that while it is true that peace is deeply personal, it is at the same time relational and communal because it flows out of us. The Holy Spirit gives us peace and that peace overflows to others. This sense of well-being that comes from our alignment with the plans and purposes of God makes us people of peacefulness. People who allow their peace to overflow to others. Now, we'll get into this further in a few weeks, but peacefulness people are not contentious or quarrelsome people. They avoid strife and dissension. Peacefulness people are not argumentative or hostile. Instead, they are positive and calm, flowing from their inner stillness. Peacefulness people are agents of peace. Now, let me give you an example from Matthew's story of Jesus. Matthew chapter 10. As Matthew opens 
Uh, we find Jesus sending the disciples out as missionaries for the kingdom of God with the authority to heal, cast out demons, raise the dead, cure leprosy and the like. You know, just some little tiny things. These verses include uh, his instructions. Beginning in verse 11. Whenever you enter a city or village, search for a worthy person and stay in his home until you leave town. When you enter the home, give it your blessing. If it turns out to be a worthy home, let your blessing, that is peace, let your peace, Irene, stand. If it is not, take back the blessing. Take back your peace. Take back Irene. If any household or town refuses to welcome you or listen to your message, shake its dust from your feet as you leave. Now the idea here is that Jesus' peace can remain on a house, that is on the, the people in the house, through the peacefulness of the people of God. Almost like there is something tangible about the shalom that Jesus offers. In his book, Unleashing Peace, author Jeremiah Johnston says, shalom implies that the blessing of peace with God, which includes forgiveness, assurance, and in, even in some cases, perhaps physical health, will rest on the household that embraces the message of Jesus. However, should a household reject the good news of the kingdom, this peace will not remain on that household. Now, all that to say that something is divinely transmitted to others through our peacefulness. That when it falls on fertile soil, bears fruit in the lives of others. Which ups the ante for us as Christ followers to be people of shalom. The world is like that frenzied crowd around Jesus. They are reaching for something, for anything that will bring peace. And the clamor for peace will only get louder. We've been commissioned to bring shalom to the world. Now, think about the things in your life that kill your peace. I gave a whole list of things earlier. Something resonated in your spirit. All of us have something that threatens to kill our peace every now and then. Peace, uh, probably more than more than one thing and probably more than every now and then. Now imagine your friends and family, your neighbors and coworkers, your children and grandchildren facing those same things without Jesus, without peace. You've been commissioned by Jesus to bring shalom to those people in those situations one life at a time. Listen, the big stuff is just going to get worse. I've read the end of the book. There will be more wars and rumors of wars. There will be more racial conflict. There will be more political conflict. There will be more financial pressure, more brokenness, more darkness overshadowing the world. Very few of us have been given the platform to impact the world at that level. But we can bring shalom to one life at a time. And the darker the world gets, the more people will be drawn to the peace that passes all understanding. Which means that we have to stop wringing our hands, faithless, every time life gets hard so that other people can experience the overflow of our peace and be drawn to Jesus. Now, here's the, the good news for us. 
Shalom begins by making peace with God. Repentance, with a little bit of faith, starts you on the journey of shalom. And without peace with God, you can never experience the peace of God. Apart from God, you will always be looking for peace from the outside. Peace with God solves your deepest need, making peace with God. Uh, most of us here in the room and watching online have already taken that step. And if you haven't, talk to the person who brought you today. Or find me or one of the other pastors, and we'll help you discover what that looks like. If you're watching online, I'm also talking to you. Now here's the promise of Scripture. Shalom with God always results in the shalom of God. Peace with God always results in the peace of God. The Holy Spirit living in us is the spirit of peace. He gives peace, period. And the more we align our lives with the plans and purposes of God, the more shalom we will experience. Which means when you feel the frenzy of the crowd, the, that when peace is elusive and replaced by fear, anxiety, etc., 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 in every story we looked at today, there was just a little bit of repentance, a little bit of faith, and a whole lot of Jesus. Now, let me say this before we go on. We live in a very complicated and broken world. Sometimes fears and anxieties, the lack of peace for whatever reason, is connected to traumas and or chemical things occurring in bodies. And some of us have lived our lives so, so much of our lives out of alignment with God's plans and purposes that the baggage and brokenness that we carry with us means that the process of realignment just needs professional help. Uh, while I believe that uh, Jesus, a whole lot of Jesus, will always help in any situation, you may also need more tools in your arsenal to fight peacelessness. There is no need for shame in these situations. Use every means possible to pursue your whole health. By the way, for all of us, the lack of peace is a gift. When you are without peace, your mind, body, or spirit is telling something. You are telling you, or the Holy Spirit is telling you, that there's something you need to pay attention to. Aside from the possibility that you are actually in a dangerous situation, though, the Holy Spirit is revealing an alignment issue. You have forgotten who you are. And in the absence of shalom, more Jesus is the answer. Now, I don't mean to oversimplify complicated issues. You're good enough at complicating things on your own. You don't need my help for that. But it really is just that simple. More Jesus. Now, before you tune me out, because I don't get your situation, because you've been trying and trying and trying and still shalom eludes you, let me, let me give you permission to stop trying. Now, here's what I mean by that. Here's how I'm seeking to try to live this out in my life. Because even I, your pastor, have things that threaten my peace. So here's how I've been approaching this in my own life. I love the book of Hebrews. 
and in particular the beginning of chapter 12. Uh, the author, who could be Paul, but maybe not, we just don't know, the author says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Put another way, let us keep aligning our lives with the plans and purposes of God. Everything else slows us down and steals our peace. And here's how we do this. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now he is seated at the place of honor beside God's throne. Now, I memorized these verses years ago from the NIV translation. In the years since then, translators have updated the language even in the NIV. So these words are slightly different from the way I memorized them. But when I memorized it, it said, By keeping your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. The author and perfecter. Now, here's the deal. You can quit trying because you have no power to manufacture peace. You aren't writing your own story. Jesus is the one writing your story. He's the author of your story. And as the author, he will perfect that story. And in the story of you that Jesus is writing, peace with God will always lead to the peace of God. That's the promise of Scripture. It's his job to perfect the story, not yours. So stop trying and keep your eyes on Jesus. More Jesus equals more peace. When peace is elusive for me, I just pray, Jesus, do your thing. Perfect my faith and shalom me. In fact, I've taken some liberties with grammar and I simply pray, off and perfect, Jesus, off and perfect. Like, what have you got to lose? You've tried everything else. Let's pray. Father, right now in these moments, I know because I know the story of so many people in this room and even some online, I know that we've, we've got friends and family here in this room that are struggling in the area of peace. Uh, their circumstances are all whacked out or sometimes even just stressed. And we just have this a hard time trying to just let go and let God do, let, let you do your thing for lots of good reasons and lots of bad ones. Father, let the peace that passes all understanding fill our hearts and guard our minds in Christ Jesus as we keep our eyes on Jesus. We give you permission, Father, not that you need it, but we give you permission to us and perfect that in any and every situation, we might be at peace, people of peacefulness, 
in a world that is desperate for peace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us today. Let me encourage you to download the study questions by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. Working through those questions on your own or with others will help the truth of God's Word find its place in your life. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen, or you can call the church during the week. This ministry is made possible because of people like you, people who believe in what God is doing through Dayspring. Your financial generosity is proof of God's work in your life. If you are just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. That is the responsibility of our Dayspringers. Just enjoy the rest of your day. If you'd like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website or text GIVE to the number on your screen or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. Also, thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you are using, maybe even rating us where that is appropriate. It is really encouraging to me when you share something that has impacted you through this service with someone else. Until we meet again, may the God of all peace give you peace at all times and in every situation.